Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 62, or season 3, episode 23 of Music Is Not A Genre. Each week, I take a release or several from my collection. I talk about them. I give you my take on them. I throw in some facts and figures and opinions, and not that many figures, but a lot of opinions, and I connect them to my music, to other people's music, and to other things in the world. Thank you to everyone who has been watching and listening and reading and clicking and sharing and subscribing and of course to my patreon patrons thank you so much if you are not a patron uh, quick note you get a lot of exclusive podcasts and shows on there that you don't get to see on the youtube channel or uh, on the podcast platform so please uh, the link is right there below take a second and go check it out i would love for you to be a part of the family this week like i said last week Going over these CDs, the CD collection, I'm going to end up hitting a, a lot of uh, bands, artists that were more seminal to me than I w- would have with vinyl or with the cassettes. And this week is absolutely no exception. You can see this giant spread I have here, which uh, spans, I don't know, almost 30 years uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. If you count this, it spans 35 years, something like that. And there's a reason for that. The, this is uh, this week, the topic, which is the third in my series called Death is Dumb. Death is Dumb, Volume 3, Beastie Boys. What fuck? Times three. So, yeah, the Beastie Boys have... Uh, I think more than one reputation, you could almost say, you know, and that's kind of what I'm going over here, among other things. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll start by saying, why, why did I title this What the Fuck Times Three? Well, okay, so number one, because these are three dudes from New York, uh, I believe two from Brooklyn, one from Manhattan, and they started out in punk uh, in 1978. The, uh, they Not all of them, but some of them were in a band called Young Aborigines. And uh, by 1981, they you know, were th- the threesome, actually had more members than that. There were a couple of other members and it started calling themselves the Beastie Boys and transitioned from punk to rap to hip hop. And they self-described as funky, punky idiots. That's on one of their uh, songs. I think it's called Beastie Groove, which if you don't know it, find it. It's not on an album. Go look it up. 
it was one of my first favorite songs of theirs. And so that one, that first WTF is, how did these self-described funky punky idiots become one of the main acts that changed the face of music in the 1980s? Um, I think the answer to that is in the second what the fuck, which is how did they then, after the start they had, and considering, you know, for those of you who can't see, I'm pointing to a 12-inch of the song She's On It from License to Ill. So considering that start, or even prior, three years prior, when they released their first single, Cookie Puss, which put them on the map, and the things they did. I believe and think, I think uh, Beastie Groove might have been 85 or 4 or something like that. So even that was before License to Ill. How did all that, after all of that kind of a start, did they end up becoming respected innovators, uh, outspoken activists, and frankly, music legends with a career long enough and rich enough to rival any big acts, any other big music acts. I think you, you don't get there unless you have the ambition to get there, unless there's a restlessness in you that wants to not just explore but grow as well. And I think that answers the first what the fuck, which is, which is you know, how did they... The only reason that they would have changed the face of music in the 80s is if there was something underneath what they were doing that was more than just fight for your right to party, which admittedly was them kind of mocking the whole thing. But also admittedly, they ended up falling into that culture anyway, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to I don't know that I'm going to talk a whole lot about the evolution and everything, because that's stuff you can find in what I'm pointing to this for you people who can't see it's the Beastie Boys book great read and you can find out a lot about what I'm saying and way more in there and I'll probably touch on it a couple more times here um, and third the third WTF which is why I'm, I'm, this is part of this podcast series at all is how can it all be over after a run like that how could it all be over and that it's been over in some ways for almost a decade um and of course, I'm referring to the fact that Adam Yauch, MCA, died of a form of cancer in 2012. He had been sick, I believe, for three years off and on. Um, they had planned a double album at the time, which ended up only being a single album. We'll get there. I'll go through very briefly kind of their chronology and all that stuff uh, as far as, you know, first release to last. And... Um, you know, get us up to the present. But the the point being, I've said this before, and this is why I'm doing this series, this uh, series that has absolutely no end date, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, every so often, I'm going to add another addition to the Death is Dumb series. And that is, there are some, I said this before, there are some deaths that impact some people more than others. Uh, for, you know, on a personal level, yes, of course that's true. You know, your parent dying is different from, a, you know, friends or, or someone else's parent dying. They're both tragic, but they don't hit you the same way. But even with people you don't know, people in culture, it's happened to me with uh, authors, actors, you know, but especially musicians. And this was one of those. This was one of the things where 
what I said in my notes here, which read them below. This is just a truncated version, but I, the whole essay's down there. Is is that they started? They became friends. They they remained friends. They were collaborators and and business partners and the whole thing. They you know had their own personalities and did their own things and took breaks, but they always came back together. And in a sense. People that you don't see all the time, you know, it's no, it's not as big a loss, but it's almost harder. It almost makes you question it more because uh, if your if if your uh, timeline, if the if the way you experience those people is, well, every few years they do something, then a few years pass, they do something. And that's how it works. So, for example, U2 puts out an album every four or five years. That's just been their clockwork since uh, I think I want to say Zuropa maybe you know prior to that it was it was fewer than four years in between albums but since then I think it's been every four years and you just say okay so they're doing whatever they're doing they're touring they're doing other they're developing music they're with their families whatever I'll see them in four years the Beastie Boys were very similar they didn't have quite as consistent you know uh, time in between releases but every few years they'd get together they put out something new and when I say put out something new I don't mean just they put out a new release I mean every single release they did added something new to music added something new to the conversation of music added something new to the development of music in general and of hip hop in particular and so when they put out this album here, which I believe was in 2011, and I'm holding up, for those of you who can't see, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. It was intended to be a double album. They made it a single because, you know, Adam Yock was sick. Um, you, was, you, know, you assume in your gut that by 2015 or so, 16, they'll, they'll get back together, put out another album. So when... When he died in 2012, yes, tragedy, yes, you knew that that was over, but there's that part of your gut that's on a different cycle. And it's saying, it's saying to you, whether you know it or not, well, in a few years, they're going to get back together and do their thing. And with experiences like that, a death ends up impacting you more than once. So it's the initial, the initial death, it's a shock, it's, it's an end of an era, it's, you know... Like I've said before, the loss of hope that new things will come from that uh, entity. Um, and then you have an echo of that experience of that death a few years later when you would have expected. For example, um, if you only see a relative, let's say, uh, once a year at Christmas, you hear they die, that's the first impact, it's a tragedy. Then Christmas comes and you're going to the Christmas part over, they're not there that's the second time when it hits you. And chances are it'll hit you again and again for a while, if not forever, um, possibly, based on that, that kind of a timeline. Of course, if it's somebody you see every day, their loss is going to hit you every single day, you know. So and in this case, so 2015 comes around, no new Beastie Boys. 2019, 2020, finally, they put out some stuff. No, it wasn't new music, but it was a book and all these other things. And you know, and 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 I have to really thank them for doing that because they tell do whatever the hell they want at this point. But they got together and wanted to honor 
their own legacy. They wanted to honor, honor Adam. They wanted to honor the music, you know, and, and the fans. And they put out this quad pack, I call it. Mega quad pack. Last year, Beastie Boys book. Check it out. The documentary, Beastie Boys Story with Spike Jones. Amazing, just so fun and, and honestly also sad and made made me cry. Um, speaking of Spike Jones, he put out a photo tribute book to just to the Beastie Boys. Of course, he's a director and he's done you know film, but he's done a lot of photography. This book is entirely about his his relationship, his ongoing relationship with the Beastie Boys. And then the fourth thing uh, was a compilation is a compilation called Beastie Boys uh, Music. And if you look on the card at the beginning of this podcast, that picture is from the cover of that album, Beastie Boys Music. It's 20 of their singles, 20 of their hits from throughout their career. Uh, so this to me, that kind of thing, it's a gift. Because look, you can go and discover and rediscover and re-listen to or try to find you know, new things from their entire career, anybody's entire career. It's all out there. It's all easy to find these days. But when the artists themselves put stuff together, especially for the right reasons, and every single you know reason here was, was, a, was a good reason, then you feel like you are being honored, as, and, and so are they. You feel, you, feel, you, know, you feel grateful that they've come back and re-engaged with you in some way. You know, there's even this twinge of hope where you're like, oh, maybe that means that, you know, Adam Harvitz and, and Mike Diamond will get together and maybe do some duo thing and they'll call it something else, you know, out of respect for the, the Beastie Boys trio. Um, but they'll put out new music. I have no idea if they're going to do that. They haven't said anything like that. They've been featured on some other artists' songs, but in more of a kind of an in quotes way, you know. So it's not them being them. It's them being them, but not to the same degree of our artistry and things like that. And, and you know, as I've said before, the hope is that there's always more to come, whether that's with music <laughs> or any other, you know, part of life or life itself. Um, and the, and the thing is, and I think one of the reasons why they were like, we are hard stop done, was not just because they were devastated by Adam Yalk's death um, and would need time to regroup anyway artistically if that was something that they had wanted to do, but it's because really he was, you know, everybody has a different function in a band, in a, in a family, in a relationship. He was the soul of the band. He really grew to be the soul and conscience of the band. I mean, they all consciences, but really in particular him. And in, in the same way that, uh, if anyone who knows me knows, I'm a huge Chicago fan. When Terry Kath died uh, in the late 70s, he was the soul of that band. And that really did rip the soul out of it. And, and, and listen, they soldiered on and re, you know, regrouped and had a gigantic career in the 80s and continued on and to this day are still out there performing. Uh, you know, uh, it's not the same members, uh, some of them are, but that was their trajectory. And uh, sometime, in some ways it was wonderful and exciting that they did that and in other ways you, you could feel that the soul was missing, uh, most of it. And with the Beastie Boys, they took a different trajectory, which was no fucking way. We're, there's no way we could possibly continue this without him. So we're done. And, you know, like any music career, 
done could mean done forever. Done could mean done for two years or ten years. How many bands have had several farewell tours, things like that? So again, you know, been a decade since they put new music out. The hope is still that they will do something, even as a duo. You know, and yeah, rediscover old stuff, maybe unreleased tracks, things like that. That's always awesome. I follow that with Prince and with some other uh, dead artists. But it's not the same thing, of course, as, as you know, discovering, you know, putting, putting out something new. Um, there's, there's a different vibrancy to it. They're both vibrant, but there's a different vibrancy. So, you know, that's done, right? We don't know, we don't know what they plan to do after this. Uh, all we can do now, if you're a fan of the Beastie Boys, as I am, is kind of ride on the wave of the stuff that they released last year and explore it as much as possible. And I'm going to explore it briefly here just to kind of, you know, get into it. And by the way, for those of you who've been following and watching or listening, yes, I did an episode on this 12-inch vinyl. She's on it months and months and months ago when I was still doing vinyl. Uh, my, uh, my point, my overall point was different, you know, there might be some some similar things that I'm saying here, but my objective here is when I revisit an artist for any reason, because I have that artist in another format, in this case CD, I want to bring something new to it. And in this case, of course, it's the, you know, the death is dumb angle and, and you know, uh, hopefully a bunch of other things, uh, especially, you know, their more recent output and stuff like that. But before we get to the more recent output, let me talk to you a little bit about their career and why they have been so, you know, important to me. So, you know, if you know anything about them, you know that this 12-inch here with the famous logo comes from the album License to Ill, which was produced by Rick Rubin, who was, you know, pioneering producer for rap and hip-hop in the 80s and has produced so many other genres since then, um, greater or lesser success. Uh, that he brought in a, a very spare, stripped-down sound that emphasized the, the lyrical performance, the vocal performance, and the beat, the, the rhythm, and the fact that hip-hop and rock are related in some way. And that's that, again, busting through genres kind of thing. And, and uh, he really brought that more than anyone into the language of hip-hop with Run DMC as well. You know, and big, big time, Run DMC were, you know, uh, heroes of the Beastie Boys. Although the Beastie Boys have many heroes, and I'm going to get into what I mean by that later when we get to this book. But, um, you know, with that, they, they had been, you know, working on their own for a while with Cookie Puss and Beastie Groove, I think was not um, Rick Rubin. They actually... Before this mega album, this this world changing album, License to Ill, came out in '86, they before all that they toured as an opening act for Madonna in 1985, who of course was huge at the time, pretty much all the time after that, um, which shows a Madonna's taste, and you know that's very cool. And I don't know how it came about, but the fact that that was a full tour is a pretty awesome thing. Wish I could have seen it. Um, but that shows that there was already buzz about them before the album came out. And the album comes out, blows them sky high, gives people a perception of them that they found it hard to shake for, I'm going to say, almost a decade. You know, 
that it really took about that long. And so they were the party boys, et cetera, et cetera. And like they said, it was a mockery of it, among other things. They fell into it in some ways. They had to kind of chill and regroup. And so in 1989, they released this one right here, which if I don't knock this stuff down while I'm doing this, it's a miracle. And that's Paul's Boutique, which I've been to that location where this store is. It's here in New York, downtown. Uh, it was an absolute failure. It was a disappointment. It wasn't, it wasn't a party. It wasn't the Beastie Boys. It was them doing something for music that had never really been done before. Almost the entire album is samples. Uh, now, samples might have been used a little bit before then, but they hooked up with the Chemical Brothers and were like, we want this to be almost 100% samples other than their vocals and actually just a little bit of live playing there too. And um, which I'll get into their live playing as well. As you know, they have punk roots, punk band. They're actually playing instruments, etc. Uh, didn't work out too well for them. In hindsight, it's it's one of the most innovative albums ever, and and it is you know highly highly respected by pretty much anyone who knows them or music of that sort you know in general. Uh, but it took them there. You know they were happy because they did what they wanted to do, but of course wished that it had had a different impact. Then comes. Uh, check your head, which I don't know why I can't find that CD. You know why? Because every every week I tell you that I that I still haven't fully unpacked these things. I, it's not organized right. Um, that's an album that where they got back to playing their own instruments, not fully, but on many of the tracks. And they, you know, they weren't the first people to do that. The Roots were doing that in Philly even before then, and and certainly way, you know, early in in uh, hip hop, there were a lot of acts that had bands and things like that. But they, you know, brought it back in a way that was kind of gritty and funky all at once. Um, some awesome keyboard work and everything like that. They had other musicians too, but they themselves did play Adam Yalko bass and all of that. Uh, I think that is it Adam Harvitson guitar drums I geez I guess I should know this am I am I the expert I don't know no I'm not so that was check your head and then you know after that I think that was 91 92 comes uh and then comes uh ill communication which is 94 and I yes I'm skipping one but I'll talk about that in a second and they did more instrument playing and all that and that of course their huge hit sabotage and that to me that was the point at which you know, so you could say, so what you want on Check Your Head, that would that showed that they were doing something different. People liked it, but they might not have been fully convinced as, the, as a public. And Sabotage comes along and they that was like, OK, these guys are not only here to stay, but they're proving that they're more than they were in ways that are now that are now impacting the greater world as opposed to just select fans and things or the, you know, the, the initial failure that Paul's Boutique was. Um, and Ill Communication is still probably my favorite album of theirs uh, for the production quality, for just some oh, root down and, and, and just the, the, the um, uh, guest sh spots on there and just the, the songs in general, uh, the way it's put together. To me, it's like an amalgamation of Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head, and its own thing, Ill Communication, all put together. You know, and even a, a little teeny, you know, a little bit of license to ill 
you know, and, and in a way, in terms of development, it was kind of a mid-period, you know. Before that came out, though, they put out this stuff, this this one here, some old bullshit. And that's what it says. It's stuff from earlier in their career when they were, you know, with their punk roots. And, you know, it's almost, I think it's almost entirely just a, an album of punk songs, their early punk songs, on their now defunct label Grand Royal Loved it. They even had a, a zine for a while. Um, and they launched this other band, Luscious, Luscious Jackson, which I'll talk about in a future podcast. Um, but it was cool to hear that because even though, even if you might have known their history, which I don't know that I did know their history that well back then, this really blew it right out. And said, wow, you know, there's some more depth there. And then after a communication, they said, well, let's do a little bit more with instrumentals, but do it now and not as a retrospective. And they put the in sound from way out out, which is just funky instrumentals, basically, that just groove from beginning to end. And it's the kind of thing you want as a soundtrack to everything you do. Um, and so, so as not to take up too much time. And then you're like, I don't know what they're doing. You know, they've had their hits and I guess they're probably done. And then they put out Hello Nasty with intergalactic and and um body movement and all this i mean geez top the charts it topped the charts so here they are in what was this 98 99 something like that they've been out for they've been famous for over a decade then they've been together for 15 years and they're like yeah we're still gonna just not only do what we want but make doing what we want a huge hit and yeah hello nasty was more as more electronic it was more techno in a way and so different from the stuff that they had done before. And then they put this out, which I just have devoured. I devoured this the way I devoured that three-package Beatles anthology. This is shorter, of course. But this, uh, The Sound of Science, uh, showing people a picture of them old, fake old, and um, a picture of them real young. Uh, but I believe it was a composite because uh, I don't think they knew each other that young, um, is is a collection of their singles and some B-sides and all this other stuff, and that, that things that you hadn't heard before, that really is, in a way, I would almost say just start here except, except for the thing they just put out. Um, but if you want to dive in deep and yet still get a flavor of their hits, maybe start with The Sound of Science. And then they put out a surprise... To the Five Boroughs. It's a few years after 9-11. New York was still reeling. It had changed. And this was a, basically a love letter to New York. Uh, the lyrics, there's still some lyrics I remember on here. And I had only been a New York resident for four years at that point. And so to, to get into this album, they're basically, in their own way, teaching me more about the place that I was living in, about my new home. And they say that Hello Nasty is their favorite, was the one where they feel like they hit the mark the most, um, and they were disappointed with this, and they thought it was too sincere, etc. But I got to tell you, it just adds another flavor to what they do, and again, it's different from everything they'd ever done. And I know, I don't think it's too sincere, and I would recommend listening to some of this stuff just to get your own opinion on this, and also because it's actually pretty freaking fun. And there are pretty, yeah, memorable lyrics. And then uh, several years later, 
Boom, their last one, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. Like I said, it was supposed to uh, be double album, didn't make it. Um, Make Some Noise was a big hit. This album itself was a big hit. So here they are in 2000, was it 9 or 11? I think it's 2011. And they're, and they're like, oh yeah, we, we still got it. We've been together for, you know, uh, 30 years, right? And famous for 25 years. But, you know, and not only are we going to make this a hit, again, do it the way we want. And in a way that was not really akin to what was going on in the hip hop charts at the time or in many, many of the pop charts. But that's how good they were, you know, and, and are, hopefully. And then, of course, time passes and nothing happens and there's sadness and all that stuff. And then they put out their quad pack last year. And um, the the thing that struck me the most was the book because of how comprehensive it is. And it's in first person, most of it. It's the two of them talking and some other things in there, of course. And they tell their story, but they tell it in their own way, as they always do. And then you get to the end of the book. And this is what I was talking about before. And listen, the whole reason I do this podcast, I yes, music, conversation, connection, but it's music, right? I love it. And I don't know everything. No one does. I don't know more than, there are many people who know more than I do, but I, I know a lot. I absorb a lot. And, and there are times where I take pride in saying, oh yeah, I know that band or... I don't know that band that well, but I've heard of them, or I heard this one song, or I know that kind of music, etc. They put in the at the end of this book a list, each of them, a list of their favorite albums and artists and things that influenced them. And that's what I was talking about before. They had a lot of heroes in and out of hip hop. And frankly, most 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 of their heroes were not a part of the hip hop world are at all. Um, and I couldn't get through the whole list. I mean, I think I read most of it. Um, I think I did actually scan all of it, but I don't remember most of it. And there were so many bands in there. And normally what I will will do, I read an article, 10, 20, list of 10 or 20 bands or albums, and I'll mark the ones I want to listen to. Whether it's ones I had heard of, and like, oh, I really should listen to it finally, or a band I'd never heard of, and they sound interesting to me. I couldn't do that with this. Because it would have been a list of like, you know, 350 things long. And that shows up in everything they do, especially in their later work. That, that, that like, uh, you know, diversity of influences, the breadth of influences shows up. And that's why they, can, they continue through, through to the end to create such a unique sound. And why they deserve the status of, you know, legends and pioneers and all that stuff. Uh, and why they've influenced me so much. You know, yeah, License to Ill is in my DNA, right? Because I, I was of an age at the time, and, and friends and I, my brother, used to perform it, you know, onto their instrumental tracks, you know, my DJing sets, the whole thing. But they their music didn't sink in, in, into me in terms of, or didn't it sank in, but it didn't come out of the music that I was doing until later than that, after they had released several other albums and I just kept falling more and more in love with what they were doing. And uh, you can hear that in a lot of what I do, but in particular, I'll give you a recent one. There's a song called The Power of Repetition Everlasting on my band Rex album, Syncope for the Weird, released last year, that I defy you not to hear Beastie Boys in that. 
in some way, not just in the vocal delivery and some of the the lyrical lyrics, but in the production itself. That there is a there's a there's a kind of a lively funkiness, a fun to it, but there's a little bit of experimentalism in there as well. And that's I think a lot of what they did. Um, and I would love for you to listen to as much of this stuff as as you can, the Beastie Boys, and then go listen to that and see how how it holds up and see if you can hear the influence and the connection and all that because right that's the objective here what's your take on this band did did, did your did your opinion of them, of them stop in 1986 um did you did you rediscover them you, were you always a fan were you never a fan was there any point if you were were not a fan that you uh that you revisited your opinion of them, that you started to see that they were, you know, had more depth to them, had more breadth to them, things like that. Do you wish that the two surviving members would get back together and do music, or do you, or no? Are you like, what's done is done? I would love to know that from you. Would love to know that. I'd love to know anything you have to say. Comments, however you want to do it. Call me on the phone. I'm not going to give you my number. Just guess it. Uh, but you know, I want to hear from you. I want to keep this conversation going because my objective is always music conversation and connection. Thank you. And I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. Fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.